1730 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Akosia Ochre. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, governing New Patriotic Party meeting with President Akufado to decide on Congress date ends in deadlock as the parties argue over when exactly the Congress should be. Also, coming up... One weekend, I asked, we identified ourselves, and we told them why we are here. They refused us to carry out the disconnection. So I gave instructions to my people that they should disconnect. Upon the disconnection, the security man and the, the, the staff gave instructions that the car should not move out. The loss control team of the Northern Electricity Distribution Company, NETCO, that was detained on the premises of the University of, for Development Studies, UDS, in Tamale. We'll be finding out what exactly transpired and what the university's position on the matter is. And later on Eyewitness News, Ghana Armed Forces denies allegations that it was involved in the killing of seven civilians in the Upper East Region town of Boko. We'll tell you the consequence of a regional security meeting that was held today on the town. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. We also have business and Michael has latest headlines. Chamber of Petroleum Consumers Ghana COPEC expresses shock at government's purchase of first consignment of fuel under gold for oil policy with cash and Ghana Hotels Association to increase rates following hike in utility tariffs. That's in 15 minutes with Michael Ogbodu of the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is interactive. Uh, do join us on WhatsApp and also on Facebook. On WhatsApp, we are on 0549-986-996. On Facebook, you watch what we are doing for you live here from the studios of CTFM and then drop your comments under the video. We are live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations. If you go to the Western region, we are on Premier 100.5 FM, Beach 105.5 FM, and Sky Power 93.5 FM. All these are in Takradi. In the Bono region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. In the Ashanti region, we are on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. In the Eastern region, we are on Right 90.1 FM in Somanya. In the Volta region, we are on Holy FM 98.5 in Aflau. In the Northern region, we are on Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yendi. In the Upper East region, we are on Wed 88.3 FM in Zuarungu. And in the Upper West region, we are on Boogly Radio 88.6 FM in Uwa. Across Ghana, we are on City Across the World. Indeed, we are on CityNewsroom.com. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And the first one has to do with the governing New Patriotic Party. Like I was saying last night, Donald Kufado cannot run for election again. He is bad constitutionally, having served two terms. The New Patriotic Party now would have to choose a new torchbearer to lead it into election 2024. The process would include a Congress date, but even before then, nominations would have to be opened, vetting has to happen, and then people would have to go and vote for their preferred candidate to lead a party. There was supposed to have been a meeting today to decide on what date this is going to be. But we are told that meeting ended in a deadlock. Samit Wiafi is a correspondent at the presidency, he went for that meeting because the president was at that meeting. Or at least there was a meeting between Jubilee House, if you like, 
an asylum down, which is the headquarters of the NPP. Sami Yafi was there for us. Sami, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. What happened? Thank you very much, Sandra, and good evening. So, um, this meeting, as you said, was expected to set a date for the party's parliamentary and presidential primaries and set out the modalities for these two important uh, internal elections left within the MPP calendar. Um, this particular meeting was also to announce a date for the opening of nominations for persons who want to go to parliament or people who want to be retained as MPs and for persons who want to lead the MPP as its presidential candidates in the 2024 election. So that was the agenda for the meeting. But after hours of meeting, the meeting ended inconclusive because there were or there are disagreements as to the dates for the election. There's a block within the party who are pushing for an early Congress, where the party should have an early Congress to elect a presidential candidate latest by August of 2023, this year. Because they believe that the party will need enough time, and the flag bearer who will be elected will need enough time to um, campaign one and also um, more or less bring all the disgruntled party members together because, you know, after every internal election, there are people who are peeved, who are disgruntled one way or the other. So the proposal from that particular blog is that uh, we need more time uh, for all these individuals to come together and look forward to the presidential candidate so that there will be unity within the party, at least a year to the election, so that the party can break the eight as it is proposing to do. There's another block within the party that's also pushing for the party to go strictly to the party's constitution. Now, if you read Article 13 of the MPP's constitution, it says that when the party is in power, it is expected to hold national delegate congress to elect a flag bearer 12 clear months ahead of a major election. So this one, they're looking at between November and December of 2023 before the election of 2024. This particular blog is pushing for the constitution to be respected as far as that particular provision is concerned when it comes to the election of a presidential candidate. So there's been counter-arguments and arguments as to which particular um, date should be uh, considered, either an early Congress or stick to the provisions of the party constitution that says that when the party is in power, elections should be done 12 clear months before a major election. Now, I understand that last uh, night, yesterday, there was a steering committee meeting after there was a proposal from members of parliament, some sitting members of parliament, who petitioned the National Council of the, of the, of the, the National Steering Committee, I beg your pardon, of the MPP, who are those people pushing for an early Congress for both the parliamentary and presidential? So this is a particular blog who are pushing for this. And so when the neck, neck met today on this particular proposal, it was inconclusively. Now, as I speak to you now, there's a National Council meeting also ongoing. Now, the National Council, meet, the National Council per the MPP constitution, is the second highest decision-making body of the MPP. And so when there, there's a need for any change within the MPP constitution and the party can't organize a, a congress immediately, they defer it to the National Council where those changes or those amendments can be made because the National Council is the second highest decision-making body of the party. Now, all these proposals 
have been presented to the National Council and they are meeting on it as we speak. And so the National Council will either agree with those who are pushing for an early Congress or agree to the block that says that the party should stick to the uh, party constitution where elections should be held 12 months to the election. But interestingly, Sander, majority of the members who are uh, on the National Council are somewhere, somewhere on, the, on the same people who are also on the National Executive Committee. So the president is part of NEC. The president is also part of uh, National Council. The vice president, the chief of staff, the national chairman and the rest who are members of NEC are also members of National Council. So the, the belief is that the disagreement that ensued at the NEC meeting is most likely to happen at the, NEC, at the National Council meeting because obviously these are the same set of people who make up this two uh, executive committee of the MPP. But as we speak now, the National Council is meeting. We are told that very soon this meeting uh, will end, and then the General Secretary will more or less issue a statement or speak to the media here what the party has agreed on as far as the date for the national election is concerned. So this has been a disagreement as we speak now at this all-important meeting for the MPP. Do we have any idea um, when there's going to be a decision? The National Council is meeting now, and we are told that um, very soon the, the, the National Council will conclude their meeting and a final decision will be taken. But I suspect, I suspect that this particular date will be deferred again to another date where they will hold another meeting and come and agree on which date uh, to hold this uh, primaries. But if you speak to party leaders, they, they, they tell you that they are within the confines of the Constitution. They are within the provision of the Constitution that says that the party should hold primaries 12 clear uh, months the election. And per, per what is happening now, the party is within, is within uh, this provision of the Constitution. So there's no rush at all in one way or the other as to setting up a date for, for the election. For them, they will, they will go according to the decision of the National Council, which is the second highest decision-making body. If the council is of the belief that there should be an early Congress, NEC has no problem to issue guidelines for that. If the council agrees that there should be uh, primaries in, 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 in November or December per the party's constitution, they will have no problem going forward with that. But if you remember somewhere in 2019 or 2020, when the party held its conference in Kumase, to amend portions of the constitution. This particular provision for amendment in the date for the election of presidential candidates came up strongly. But then the, the conference of that particular event could not, could not reach a decision and they deferred that particular amendment to the National Council. So then we never had any uh, decision taken by National Council on this particular provision. Now, those who were pushing for an early Congress uh, said at that particular con- conference in, in 2000, and 19 is that when the party is in opposition, you elect a presidential candidate two years the election. When he's in power, is uh, um, a year or 12 months. So those pushing, pushing for the amendment believe that it should be two years across. It should be two years across. So two years when the party is in power or two years when the party is in opposition. But those who are against this particular provision say that if you elect a presidential candidate two years to an election, you have a sitting president. This particular presidential candidate will more or less outshine the, the sitting president who is expected to steer the affairs 
of the, the country and of the party going into a major election. So if you elect a presidential candidate two years to the election, you create more or less a parallel command where there will be a presidential candidate and a president of the republic. And where does the attention go? Does the attention go to the sitting president or the presidential candidate? So this is all the mis, 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 uh, misunderstanding and misgivings among the proponents of for and against an early Congress or stick to the party's mm. constitution for the, 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 the 12 months to an election. Okay. So I mean, anyone publicly made a statement in favor or against early Congress who has agreed to say this on record at the meeting today? None, none of them. But if you remember, about two or three weeks ago, one of the one of the um, presidential hopefuls, Mr. Boacheja, who wrote an, an article where he was uh, more or less mounting pressure on the National Council, the National Executive Committee, to, to um, as a matter of agency, set a date as soon as possible for the primary, so that all these suspicions and and petty squabbles within the party, as far as setting a date for the primaries is concerned, will bring uh, or will, will, will come to a finality. He's the only person I know who has uh, publicly written an article on this particular one. But for him to be on record, he's at this meeting, at this particular meeting today. A number of the aspirants are there. Um, Mr. Boache Jako is present. Pabne J. Japon is also present at this particular meeting. These are the two individuals who have one way or the other declared their intent to lead the MPP going to the election. The vice president is also present at this meeting per his position as a sitting vice president. It qualifies him to be a member of the National Executive Committee and National Council of the MPP. So you you will say that three aspirants, if I want to put it that way, three of the aspirants are present at this particular meeting. So uh, uh, for for the public record, it's only Mr. Boache who has publicly one way or the other written an article stating his views on the date for this particular uh, um, 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 all-important conference of okay. Congress of the MPP. Thank you so much. The parliamentary leadership is also present as far as this whole thing is concerned because they also have a major stake in this. They are also pushing for an early, an early uh, primaries for 15 members of parliament so that they can get this thing off their chairs and then focus on government business in parliament. Thank you so much. Samir Yafi is our correspondent, uh, bringing us up to speed on the decision or the lack of it by the New Patriotic Party after that meeting with the President. Uh, so the Jubilee House had a meeting with Asylum Down, and the decision is that there is no decision. Abdul Jalid Ateko is a political scientist. He's joined us for some more analysis on this particular situation. Sir, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Yeah, thank you very much. So the, the, the issue is, if you elect a flag bearer now, you make Akufado a lame duck. If you don't, you also risk you know, having a difficulty campaigning for an election that is for 2024, you'd have a short period to campaign. Where should the party be looking? Well, thank you very much. Um, uh, Looking at the situation, I I think that uh, from the same party having the president, and then uh, uh, for now the president will no longer be contesting. So if you are having new people that are coming, I think it will be in the interest of the party to uh, pick a period where the elected flag bearer will be able to have enough time to campaign, right? Don't forget, uh, over the past uh, uh, years, is the president who was the flag bearer for the first time and then the second time. So this time now, 
you are going to have a new person. I think that marketing the person will also require uh, time. So for those ask, asking that maybe if the party can uh, uh, elect a flag bearer maybe about two years or around that, I think that I will, I will go in for, for that so that you will give the opportunity for the bearer to, to have um, uh, enough time to campaign, to interact with electorates uh, 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 and all that. And people that are saying that maybe because if the, if the president is elected, so the club better will be uh, doing something else, and then the, uh, the president will also be performing, performing his duties. And I think uh, coming from the same party, it depends on how they are able to harmonize it. I do not think that maybe, I think that they will be able to, 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 to stay through, they will be able to organize themselves well. Right. Once the person is elected, he has become the, the, the flag bearer and not the president. So, but they will have to work uh, together in order to, 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 to get their, their elected flag bearer uh, elected in the general election. I see. So it is a quagmire of a sort, isn't it? Hello? I'm saying that so it's a quagmire of a sort that the party finds itself in. Yeah, so, so, so looking at the situation, I think that that, that is what is going to be because if you look at even when you come to apart from the flag bearer state, you look at even the parliamentary, particularly with the with the MPP. Over the last year, you know this is a party that uh, lost it from one sixty nine to about one thirty seven and all that. So I think that uh, some of these issues if, if you they have enough time, okay, they may be during the elections. Elections we know most I mean we our elections have become very acrimonious. Intraparty elections, interparty elections and all that. So I think that it is important that they pick a period where they will have enough time so that uh, they'll be able to heal some of the wounds, breaches that will come, uh, uh, I mean, uh, in, in, in the election. So I think that if they're able to have that, that time and then they are able to work, the, I think that the president will be able to work together. Once someone is elected, the president becomes the flag bearer of the, of the party, right? So they have no option than to rally behind the person. The pres- I mean, the president, the flag bearer, they all have to team up and work together. Uh, 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 in order to be uh, uh, to be effective in, in in the campaign, so I think that uh, if they have enough time, that will rather serve them uh, well. Very well, thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, that's Abdul Jalil Ateko, his political scientist, uh, speaking to us on the indecision of the MPP on whether it should be an early congress or a late congress. We are told that there's still another meeting happening. Uh, when that meeting concludes and a definite decision is taken, we'll communicate to you. Some of you are there for us uh, following events keenly. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Please stay with us. There's more coming up. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka. In Accra. We have other stories we're following for you here on Eyewitness News. Uh, Kosia has that. The Institute for Energy Security, IES, says it will be a step. It will be a step in the right direction if stakeholders in the energy space were engaged properly before electricity tariffs were adjusted upwards. The Institute believes such engagements can influence the Public Utilities Regulatory Commission's decision on the marginal electricity tariff should be increased by. 
This follows an increment in the electricity tariff by 29.3%, which was implemented on February 1. Speaking to City News, research and policy analyst for the Institute for Energy Security, Adam Siakubu, said ECG and PURC could have increased the tariff by 20% and not 29 you can give consumers some 20% upward adjustment, not 29%. At a time, economic situation in the country is not doing well. We shouldn't overburden the consumer so that when you push the consumer to the wall, what you are likely to see is what evading of payment of tax. And I think that is, not, that is not very good for a sector as critical as the energy sector. We should always have that engagement. We should always have that openness to engage ourselves then we can also, or we can always have what is best for the consumer. Research and policy analyst for the Institute for Energy Security, Adam Siakubu. This is News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's now remain with issues of um, energy, specifically petroleum. You recall the government's gold for petrol or gold for oil policy that it introduced. And we've seen the first consignment of uh, petroleum products, 40,000 metric tons, delivered to our port of Tema. Now, the government had said it was going to deliver gold and bring home oil. It turns out that government was doing cash for oil, or at least that's the understanding we got from Deputy Minister for um, Energy, the Honorable Andrew Ejapa Mesa. He's actually joining us now to clarify this matter further. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. So you're saying that, Government went to give money to collect oil instead of give gold to collect oil like you had promised us. Well, um, I am wondering whether you, you, you say what you mean when you say that that's the understanding that you had from me <laughs> or that that's what I said because it's two things whether your understanding or what I said uh, because I did not see that necessarily government had reneged on its gold for oil policy by paying cash for oil. What I said to your, uh, your, your colleague this afternoon was this, that the policy is running two streams, all from one source, which is of gold locally for the importation of oil. However, we recognize that some IOTs may not necessarily be in a position to do a direct barter because of their peculiar circumstances. Some are in a position to take gold as a swap for the oil. And so the two streams that were running under the Go for Oil program, as the Vice President confirmed, was one that then allows Bank of Ghana to monetize the gold to either pay for the oil or to swap directly the gold to pay for the oil. That's all. <laughs> and I don't see where the inconsistency is that is creating the brouhaha as published on your news portal this uh, afternoon. Explain what you mean by monetize the gold. What does that mean when the BOG does that, as you said? Well, what it means is that it will sell the gold. And then those uh, IOTs that uh, see, uh, there are companies that do commodity trading, okay? And commodity trading including oil, gold, uh, uh, cocoa, wheat, sugar, and all sorts of things. Those companies obviously have.
have the capacity to monetize or sell gold or exchange gold for gold, uh, for oil, if they have the ability. Some do only oil trade. And so if you give them gold, then it becomes a difficulty. They then have to find some outlet to dispose of it. So in order for us not to limit ourselves with respect to the scope of companies that can participate in the program, the need arose for that window to be open to enable Bank of Ghana under that program to either have an option to do a direct swap or sell the gold that they have bought locally through PMMC to then pay for the commodity uh, uh, that the supplier has supplied. Okay. So at the end of the day, we were using cash to buy the oil and not give gold and collect oil. So it's accurate that, when we say that instead of, instead I, of I, gold I, for it, oil, we were not, getting no, cash for all. oil. Not at all. I explained to you that it's a program that has been christened gold for oil. Now, under that program, government in its wisdom and in order not to entangle itself with a limited scope of suppliers, because of the conversations that are taking place, the discussions that had gone on clearly, the need arose to have that window available for companies that were not involved in any other commodity apart from oil to then have the ability to also participate in the program by supplying gold under the terms that the others were doing <laughs> could offer. And so the ultimate objective still is in place, which is to say that can we aggregate gold in-country through PMMC to enable us run this program that then affords us the ability to negotiate good premiums so our petroleum consumption at the pumps becomes uh, relatively affordable for the Ghanaian consumer. And I do not see really what the fuss is about with respect to there was a certain promise that, so, so really, that, that's what it is. Okay, so in the specific instance of the 40,000 metric tons, did we give cash for the consignment or we gave gold? Under the program, PMMC aggregated gold purchases in Ghana for the Bank of Ghana's purposes. Bank of Ghana sold that gold or some of it for the consignment that came in, yes. So we gave cash for that consignment that came, not gold. I have said to you that under the program, Bank of Ghana monetized that gold and paid for the commodity. Unless, of course, you want to discount the information that we are providing to the good people of this country with respect to the working of the program. I'm not, I'm, I'm not discounting, I'm not, I'm not discounting anything. I'm asking for, yeah, of course, no, the, the I, I just want, counsel, I, I just want clarification I'm from you. That your line of questioning suggests to me that everything that I'm saying is of no consequence to you. No, everything uh, is of consequence, but everything has to be clarified too. Maru, Maru, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see the, 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 the conflict or the difficulty in appreciating the point that I made. I have no difficulty no, at all. I'm asking for further clarification. No. Wait, there's no implication. The, the issue is this. Honorable, please hold on a second. Just, yes. just listen to the question and answer it the best way you can. But the, that's exactly what I'm Yes, yeah, so let me, let me re-put the question. So the question is, 
Yes. We said we are going to do gold for oil. There are two streams that you plan to do. One stream says we'll give gold to the dealer, to the guy who has the oil and that guy will give us oil direct. Another deal is that that guy who has the oil does not accept gold. He would say to us he accepts cash. So we give to someone who accepts both cash and gold and that person will deliver the cash to him and then get the gold comes to us. The idea, the government's explanation was that the whole transaction should not happen locally here. Two, that the dollars should not leave the shores of Ghana. Instead, gold should be leaving the shores of Ghana. So my question to you is, did we pay hard cash for the petroleum products that we brought in? And if that's what we did, did that money come from Ghana here? Did the BOG sell the gold or monetize the gold here, took the cash to go and buy? But obviously, Bank of Ghana will monetize the gold outside Ghana. <laughs> Okay. So, 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 so if 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 the if the answer to your question, that's why I said mm-hmm. that it's a chain. Okay, it's a program where government is saying that look, I don't want a situation where I have a difficulty or Bank of Ghana has a difficulty procuring dollars locally to uh, support petroleum product importation. Now, what creative ways can we then? put in place to ensure that we can still deliver petroleum products to the Ghanaian consumer. And so the thought then arose that, look, you hear the publications by the Ghana uh, uh, mining, uh, uh, um, forgot your name, uh, uh, the commission, right? Ghana Team of Might, uh-huh. Team of Might, okay. publications that they make, the volume of gold that's exported out of Ghana, you hear foreign companies making publications about the volume of gold that is imported into Ghana. I mean, out of, exported, exported out of Ghana. Mm-hmm. And you see a clear disparity in terms of what the volumes of remittances that come to the Bank of Ghana from the sale or export of these gold commodities outside Ghana. So clearly there's a deficit there, which then ordinarily, if all the remittances were coming in, will go to support the balance of payments that the Bank of Ghana then runs to support importation of petroleum products and other commodities. Okay. So can we then aggregate the gold here and use it, one, to either exchange by way of the butter under the program or to monetize which means that Bank of Ghana is going to sell that commodity to pay for the gold. So Bank of Ghana will sell it outside Ghana, of course, generate the dollar outside Ghana, and pay for the commodity outside Ghana. And that's what happened in this particular instance. Precisely the point that I'm making Mm -hmm. that, so if you pick only one leg of the program that I've explained to you to be a chain that then starts from a certain point, through PMMC to aggregate the gold that then is used to fund the petroleum purchases under that program. And to suggest that government promised X and has delivered Y, and so there is some contradiction. That would be an unfair reportage of the facts. Because as I indicated to your reporter this afternoon, as I have explained to you now, it wasn't an overnight decision that then led into the gold for oil program. Went through a series of 
conversations. A committee was actually put up, made up of stakeholders, including from the private sector, Chamber of Bulk Oil Importers. And this policy was evolved, out of which, because it is new, they needed to run some tests. That has been done. And the Vice President confirmed that the first consignment, which was a test under the government's goal for oil program, had been delivered. Yet you get some news item that is made out of an interview that is granted explaining the entire process from A to Z to suggest that I've contradicted the vice president. And that's an unfortunate report. Okay. You see, the reason that you've seen the reportage that you saw is because of what you said. And this is what happened. Please. The understanding governments give to the ordinary Ghanaian is that we are going to dig gold from the belly of our own air. That's not true. No, government is going because to collect gold see, from no, PMC. No, no, I mean that's that's not true. I've not even landed. I've not. Even, I have not even landed. So let me land. If I don't land, so your first premise is a false premise, and I cannot allow you to proceed. Where the false premise is, which one? Which one is the false premise? Government did not say that it's going to take gold from the belly of the earth. Oh no! I no no. The government of Ghana. Yes. Is going to use gold that is dug from the belly of our earth through small scale miners and big scale miners. The government of Ghana is going to procure that gold using the BOG as a vehicle, and that's going to be done through the PMMC. Mm-hmm. The government of Ghana would then, and I'm using government of Ghana now to inc- include every institution in the in the chain. The government of Ghana will carry this gold and go and do a swap of a sort or a batter of a sort. That was why we called it, or that's why the government called it gold for oil. So the understanding is that you are giving gold and receiving oil. But in this no, instance, no the general understanding, and that's why it's called gold for oil. Otherwise, it was called gold for oil, gold for cash and oil. No, gold or, or gold, gold or, ca- or no, gold or, or, or cash. Okay. Or, 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 or what? Or you cash. See? So, no, no, let me land with the question. So now the point is that Clearly, from what you have said, what transpired now, we did not give hard gold to collect oil. We gave money to collect oil. That, in the strictest sense, means it was cash for oil. If that is... If, please hold on a second. Please hold on a second. If that's exactly what happened, where we went to give cash for oil, the question would be, in the past, we cash, we've been buying oil using cash. So what has significantly changed now, if we are using the same cash to buy oil, like what we've always been doing. I've explained to you that ordinarily, if all the exports that went out of Ghana, the remittances came into Ghana, this conversation would not even arise. Right? I've explained that to you. Because what that would have meant was that government was going to generate sufficient enough flows in Bank of Ghana to fund imports including petroleum and general import program that business people, uh, as it were, um, um, carry out. But the fact of the matter on the ground is that not all those remittances actually come. Yet, we have a need to finance our petroleum products to ensure that the Ghanaian consumers do not go through queues as is happening right now in Nigeria and several other countries across the world. And so, the evolution of the program. Now, strict 
butter have limitations. And so you needed to create a room that then allowed for you to then monetize that same gold that you have aggregated for purposes of paying for that commodity. How is that difficult to comprehend? Finally, another... Ah, it's unbelievable. Okay. Another thing that is difficult to comprehend is that... The oh, you have the difficulty comprehending this explanation? You are the one who introduced the phrase. So I'm just using that as, 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 oh, a, way okay. to, as right. a way to ask All you right. the next question. So I'm saying that the next issue that's difficult for people to apprehend is that we're told gold for oil will bring us cheap fuel. And yet yet yesterday, the or is it, I think from, is it a Sunday or Monday, the pumps started displaying higher figures than they had in the past few weeks, which means the cost of fuel has gone up. Why? What happened? What went wrong? Well, nothing has gone wrong because it was clear right from the very beginning the vice president, when he spoke at the New Year's, New Year's school, indicated that a 40,000 metric ton had come in as test of the program. And I've said to you that the program that we are running is new. And so he needed to put some tests that then assures all the people who were desirous of participating uh, that this was workable. And so that had come in. That constituted only about 10% of our monthly demand. So as the program is rolled out, as more people sign on to it, as we full-scale roll out of the program, the expectation from all the modeling that we have done and have seen suggests that if the program works well, that alone could have an impact of about 20-30% a foreign exchange component of what informs prices at the pumps. Because I'm sure you are very much aware that beyond the international price, which may rise or fall, the critical component also for determining the prices at the pumps on a two-by-weekly basis as per the regulations that have been put in place under the uh, uh, deregulation program is to um, 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 um. Hello? I'm listening to you. Yeah, under the deregulation program is to ensure it's a, a forex component. Okay, and so if the program works well and Bank of Ghana is then able to aggregate the commodity, what it means is that all the transactions in country are CD denominated. And so there will be no forward pricing that Typical BDCs would then rule out such that today, even though the dollar is less than 11 cities, their imports are, are pegged at some 14, 15 cities to the dollar. Mm. Obviously, mm-hmm. if that program continues as has been announced and as is going to happen, we would, in the fullness of time, see the reflection at the pumps. Okay, so how, how soon is that fullness of time? How soon would we say, oh, finally, gold for oil is delivering... Uh, something better for us at the at the pumps. Do we have a projection we are working with? Umaru, the, the the program has gone through a test. First consignment was delivered, I believe, mid January. It's two weeks. Some framework is being developed around it based on issues that have arisen, and hopefully by next week, my understanding is that a full statement as regards what the program is all about will be put out so that we can all consume it okay. and 
and guide us into making predictions as to when the expectation. Bear in mind also when you say that uh, it didn't reflect on the pump at this time. Yes, that was not our expectation that it will have an overnight effect because there are stocks already that are in the market. Every day people bring in petroleum products. So you cannot expect that an injection of 10% from the gold for oil program would all of a sudden change the pricing dynamics overnight. Okay. It's a process. It's not an event. It has started. Let's all support it because ultimately, if it works well, uh, good people of this country are going to be the ultimate beneficiaries. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Eh? My, my pleasure. That's the noble Andre Japa Mesa, his deputy minister for energy. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. When we come back, we'll take you to the University of Development Studies UDS campus in Tamale, where we are told that security operatives uh, that manned the school detained officials of NETCO who had come there to engage in lawful duty. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. The loss control team of the Northern Electricity Distribution Company, NETCO, was detained on the University for Development Studies City Campus in Tamale by staff and security personnel of the institution after the team disconnected electricity supply over the non-payment of 447,000 cities of electricity bill. Samokumi is supervisor of the loss control unit of NETCO. Uh, Mr. Kumi, were you part of the team that got detained? What happened? Yes, please. Uh, good evening to all your listeners. What happened to your team today? Um, we went to disconnect um, a UDS, the city campus at uh, Tripoli. After the disconnection, they locked us in and uh, refused us leaving their premises. According to them, also we... We connect them back. They will not allow us to leave. And this thing happened uh, within three hours interval. For the three hours, our car were locked up there. And we were not allowed to leave. That was what happened. How were they not allowing you? How were you restrained? Did they lock you in a room or they just closed the gate and said you can't drive out? Yeah, they closed the gate and said, one, they will not allow us to drive out. Two, they should prevent us from um, walking through the small gates. And if anybody is a man, it should climb the wall for them to see. Which means that you can't even park your car and walk out as individuals and leave the car. They didn't allow you to do that. That was what they did. But eventually, after some time, we decided to walk out. When we were trying to walk out, they wanted to retain us. But actually, I, I, I didn't take any of it. I told them what they were doing is a to kidnapping us and uh, we have no option than to allow us to walk away while leaving our car inside. And they allowed you to go? Yes, they allowed us to go. So where is your car? Our car was there until we report the issues to management 
management has to call reinforcement from the military barracks. Kamina. Even when the military came, they still insisted that they would not open the gate, the gate for us to leave. It was it was a scuffle. With the soldiers? Uh, yes, the soldiers came. They were about 18 numbers with, with weapons. They still insisted that they should lock the gate. They should not allow us to leave. When you say they, who are these they? The, the, let's say the, the, the workers. Because it includes the security, the, the head of the security. When I met the dean and told him of our, our, our mission there, when I asked him that we want to ask permission to leave, the comment he made was that if only the security man will allow us to leave, that is his problem. So when I'm saying they, this is what I mean. When you say Dean, Dean of what? Actually, I don't know his name. They say, let's go and meet the Dean. So he entered his office? You know, but then the light was off, so he came out. So we, we were in front of um, the, the office with, I think, five or six other men, officers. Have you finally managed to get your vehicle out? Yes, please, please, yes, please. The military was able to assist. Force the door open and ask it to leave uh, around 12, 12, 12. And what about the power? Did you restore it before leaving or they are in blackout now? No, please. They are in blackout. As far as I'm concerned, my manager or management had not instructed me to go and reconnect them. So they are in blackout. Samuel, please be on the line. I want to speak to someone. You may be interested in what he says. Samuel Kumi is supervisor of loss control of Netco. Let me go on the other line and speak to Abduhai Mumin. He's a journalist and head of communication at the University of Development Studies, UDS, Tamale Campus. Abduhai, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Apparently, your school now engages in kidnapping? Um, uh, respectfully, Omar Sanda, um, I take exception to the use of the word kidnapping in this context. I also recognize the fact that at the beginning of your interaction with my friend from NETCO, you used the word in reference to what may have happened on the premises of the city campus of UDS in Tamale. If, uh, if I use the word beat, then that was a, a slip of tongue. I apologize. Uh, I, yes, beat, beat and kidnap. No, uh, kidnap was used by Mr. Samokumi. He said he felt kidnapped because he was restrained and prevented from moving. So I was no, giving his word. You repeated. You repeated. Yes, you I, was, repeated yes I was giving that to you as a question. That that's what he said was done to him. So you have right, to respond um, to that. Well, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, I, I think, first of all, let's not create a storm in a teacup. Uh, a scuffle is what Mr. Uh, what's the name again? I, I beg your pardon. Kumi? I, uh, the, Mr. Kumi used the word scuffle. Uh, and indeed, a scuffle did happen. But it's not what we appear to be describing it to be in the public space. Let me reiterate uh, the fact that UDS as an institution has no problems, has no existing tensions with the VRA NETCO, neither does it have any previous tensions with VRA NETCO. Indeed, uh, uh, about eight, five months ago, that was in August 2022, uh, the NETCO wrote to uh, UDS indicating that they would be embarking on an exercise 
to replace the postpaid meters, especially on the city campus premises with prepaid meters. Um, we were not aware, especially regarding today, not that we were not aware of the entire exercise, but today the security on duty in particular were unaware of the fact that VRA officials uh, were coming to perform any official exercise on the premises. And so when they arrived there, the security insisted that they wanted to see some official communication between UDS and VRA NECO, permitting them to come and do, perform whatever exercise they had come there to perform. In the absence of such uh, uh, an evidence, they then said, wait until we confirm with our management that this exact exercise has been endorsed. Um, Omar Sander, if you are a security man, this is obviously what you would do. No, if I'm a security man and someone comes with a vehicle, and I'm sure, based on what I know in the South, these vehicles are branded. If I were a security man, I would have first of all prevented the vehicle from entering the premises. But if I allowed the vehicle in and the technicians go to switch off the power, it means I recognize the person. If you had allowed me to land, you would have... Yes, you recognize. Uh, Indeed... The university campus does not restrict entry, except in cases where there is obvious suspicion. Otherwise, university campuses across the nation have their gates open for students and the other officials to troop in and out. And so if a VRA vehicle appears at the entrance of the city campus, uh, the, the security personnel naturally would not drive such a vehicle away until the officials would begin to engage in such an exercise as would warrant some permission from management or some documentation from the officials involved before they are allowed to proceed to do so. Now, this is what happened. When they proceeded to take out the fuse that provides electricity supply to the entire facility, that was when the security men also intervened and said, well, we do not know if this your exercise is endorsed by even your management or our management. Wait until such a time that we receive confirmation. Then the VRA, according to my information, attempted to leave the premises with the, the fuse. And that was when the scaffold, as described by Mr. Kumi, happened. So... It is a scuffle. It is an unfortunate incident that happened between officials who had been designated to do certain uh, assignments. Management has taken notice of that. And in recognition of the cordial relationship we have with you, uh, VRA, UDS is taking steps to remedy the situation. Again, let us not create a storm in a teacup. You see, uh, I I like that you use the word not creating a storm out of a teacup, but your school, are you suggesting that your security men would restrain officials of a state institution from carrying out their lawful duty to the extent that they've had to go to Kamina Barracks and bring in soldiers, at least eight of them, 
before they are allowed to go out of your campus? It wasn't. It wasn't the arrival of the military men and uh, officials that necessitated the opening up of the gates. It had to take officials, management of UDS, well, as soon as they got to know of this, made calls and uh, uh, instructed the security to allow the officials who had come there to do the work that they had been assigned to do. And it is exactly the instructions the security personnel were waiting for. As soon as they received those instructions, they proceeded to do what was necessary. You asked Mr. Kumi if um, they had left the lights, uh, the electricity supply on. He said no. And indeed, nobody has gone back there to tamper with what the VRA officials came there to do. It was a scuffle between security personnel and some persons who were sent by VRA. Um, we will deal with it and we are dealing with it again. Let's leave it there without attempting to create a situation that makes it look like there was a war in Tamale. Okay. Do you endorse what your security men did? Personally, I do not endorse that. Not personally. Uh, I mean, as a school. Yeah, I, no, you, no, of course, if, we, if, if the management had endorsed that, then the management would have called the security personnel to say, look, do not allow them to leave, keep them hostage, and so on and so forth. Management, of course, did not endorse that. If management does again, not or did again, not endorse... allow me, you asked me a question. Uh, will you allow me to answer your question? Go ahead, answer. Uh, yes, so you, so you asked if we endorse that. I said we do not endorse that. Follow-up question. If you don't do endorse... Yes. If you don't endorse, what have you done to the security men who engage in this act that you did not endorse? Early days yet. Um, uh, as Mr. Kumi told you, he said this incident happened... Uh, between the time you spoke to him and the time the incident happened, it was just about three hours ago. And um, what kind of actions would you take when uh, people have started going home? What sort of meetings would you be able to hold in order to assess and investigate what really happened and to d- determine what punitive actions, if any, should be taken against any official? Of course, it's early days yet. And uh, to say that we have done anything at the moment, or to insist that we should have done anything to any of the security men at the moment would be unfair to the management of UDS. Do you have students and staff on campus as of tonight? Uh, you see, so the campus in particular, the one we are referring to, is uh, where you usually have um, uh, it accommodates persons who... Uh, do distance learning. Uh, these are offices for uh, uh, the dean of graduate students. These, so it doesn't accommodate students during the night. So, so as we speak, as we speak, if you go to the city campus, uh, you are only bound to find security personnel manning the place. And uh, the reason that they came to do the disconnection, when are you going to pay their money? So you see, um, I, I'm speaking to officers I have. And I have seen from the VRA did not and do not indicate that it was to disconnect UDS due to the non-payment of bills. Of course, UDS owes VRA some amount of money, but the official communication indicated that it was to replace existing postpaid meters with prepaid meters. Okay, let's leave it here. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very much. That's Abdul Mumin. He speaks for the University for Development Studies, UDS in Tamale. Uh, Samo Kumi is still on the line. Samo Kumi, 
you've heard him in 30 seconds to a minute. How do you respond? Do you, are you satisfied with his response? Um, unfortunately, if you have asked me what actually the, the full story, it, it, it might be different from what he was told. Now, no, uh, it was a security who managed to forcibly open the gate for us to leave. It was not the directive from the management. Even with the military, they refused us to leave. Now, the disconnection. The disconnection happened for two things. We had engaged them so many times to find a way of a payment plan, which unfortunately had not been successful. So we said, okay, let's now manage the debt because you cannot allow the debt to be to, 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 to be mounting. So let's put a prepaid meter there so that as you are coming to buy, you can be paying small for the debt to be defrayed. And they refuse us installing the prepaid meter. So if you're a manager or management for VR, what do you do? The least you can do is call them to order. Let's find a, 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 a suitable way. So after the disconnection, I went to the dean. I don't know, let's go and meet our management. Dialogue. But he said, you know, go. The VC should rather go. Now, if you know, go, allow me to leave. He said, no, allow me to leave. Are you guys going to, are you guys going to bring a legal action over what you describe as kidnapping, which I believe should be false imprisonment? This is management. So management will take a decision on that. Have you I, been told I, if there will be a decision? Don't you don't, don't know. know. Okay. But I think that's, that's the last issue that I want to add, add before I drop. Yes, please. If a transformer is burning, do you need to go to the VC to ask permission before you can touch a transformer? I'm sure the transformer is your property. Is a, is a state. Yes. And, and when, so, we went, when, when we went there, when we went there. But you may also I need to knock and your, your, the gate has to be open before you, you go through. Apparently you just entered like random visitors to the university and you decided to go nah, and engage in. Nah, nah. We entered and we met the first creative man. I had a name tag. So I introduced myself. And I told him that we were asked to come and work on the, uh, the, the, the substation to carry out some operation. That was when the, 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 the head of security came and was refusing us, actually denying us from touching the physics and any scenery uh, of, of our network. You understand? That was the first struggle. Eventually, we were able to disconnect them. When the military came and they were opening the gate, they refused. So it became another struggle between the military and them. So it was a military. No, no, no. When you were, so when you were entering, were you, uh, did they know who you were and what you were coming to do when you entered? No, immediately we entered, they opened the door for us. When I got down, I went to the main security man and introduced myself and my mission. And they allowed you to carry on? No, they, they, that was what the head of security came and said, you will not allow us to carry on. So, so you, you disconnected while you were having disagreement with the security man? Yes, please. That okay. was the first travel. That's fine. Let's leave it here. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, sir. Samuel Thank Kumi you, sir. is supervisor of the Loss Control Unit of NETCO, the Northern Electricity Development um, Company, uh, Distribution Company. Abduhai Women, earlier you he heard he works with the uh, University for Development Studies, UDS. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Uh, Akosia will now tell us about what transpired in Boko, Akosia Autry, um, the situation in Boko, and then we will bring you the latest in the world of business. Let's still stay on NETCO before we move to other stories. The staff of NETCO are demanding the removal of the managing director, Osmania Yuba, 
over non-performance. In a position presented to the board of directors of the company, they state, among other things, that the financial performance of Netco has worsened since his assumption of office in 2019. Now, the management of the West Hills Mall in Accra has clarified the sequence of events that led to the death of a 32-year-old man on his premises. The man Shadrach Allah died after an altercation with a police officer at the mall. A video of the recent or incident has gone viral with the police launching an investigation into the matter. This is News on 97.3 CTF and we'll bring you the latest update from Boko and when we come back for business news. Please stay. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obudu. Let's settle for the details now. The Chamber of Petroleum Consumers Ghana, COPEC, has expressed shock at government's purchase of the first consignment under the Good for Oil policy with cash. This comes after Deputy Energy Minister Andre Japamesa revealed that Ghana's gold was monetized to pay for the fuel. The policy to buy oil products with gold rather than U.S. dollars, re- dollars reserve is meant to tackle dwindling foreign currency reserves coupled with the demand for dollars by oil importers. Executive Secretary of COPEC, Duncan Amar, has been speaking to City Business News. Just as you, the media, are shocked at the turn of events, uh, we are equally shocked. And then the suspicion, the long-held suspicion that, indeed, we're just getting into a certain arena uh, without deeper consideration or any proper contractual basis, uh, is just being confirmed. And then what this then does is that you have a deregulated environment which, uh, we entered into somewhere July 2015, uh, on the back of the fact that government said it didn't have money, uh, to pay for under recoveries or any, um, losses that was incurred by BDCs and other players within the sector. Then, a few years down the line, the same government comes back to say that I am now taking your money to go into fuels trading. Uh, what that means is that government is now in competition with the private players uh, whom we have agreed to, I mean, or secure fuel and sell to the Ghanaian market. Uh, it is not only shocking, but we would wonder the basis of taking money from the Bank of Ghana at this point without proper budgetary approval by parliament uh, to go into such a very dangerous, you know, arena of fuels trading. 
You had the Executive Secretary of the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers, Ghana, COPEC, Duncan Amwa. Now, the President of the Ghana Hotels Association, Dr. Edward Akanyameke, has announced that its members will increase their rates due to the effects of the hike in utility tariffs by the Public Utilities Regulatory Commission, PRC. The regulatory authority on January 16 announced electricity tariffs by 30% and 8.3% for water. The adjustments which took effect on February 1, 2023, according to the PURC, is due to the CD depreciation, soaring inflation and issues with power generation. Now, speaking to City Business News, Dr. Nyameke said they are left with no choice than to adjust their prices in order to stay in business. The economic environment is becoming a game of survival. Businesses will have to survive and the hotel Operators will also have to survive. And so if a client goes to a hotel today and sees an upward adjustment in their rates, I don't think that they should be surprised at all. Because in this economic environment we find ourselves in, the hotels are not even fighting for serious profit margins. I don't think a lot of the hotels are even making profit. It has become a game of survival. And so any adjustment in the rates is going to be based on the utility adjustment that we are going to witness and don't forget also that VAT has also gone up and all other prices are still going up so I don't think any client should be surprised if they should go to a hotel and see an upward adjustment until the business environment changes Unfortunately, we are going to be witnessing some of this. The hotels have tried as much as possible to cushion some of the adjustments in their cost of operations. Okay, but to what extent and for how long can they sustain it? They will have to survive. And survival would mean that the inflows must balance the outflows. You had the president of the Ghana Hotels Association, Dr. Edward Akanyameke. Meanwhile, the Association of Ghana Industries, AGI, is concerned that the recent upward adjustment would lead to the collapse of many beverage companies in the country. Speaking at a media briefing, the chief executive of AGI, Seth Chumakwaba, maintains that such astronomical tariff increments would spike the cost of production of beverage companies and kick them out of business. We do not think the creation of a new consumer category addresses the challenges in our water distribution system. Such astronomical tariff increment in a single revision is retrogressive and shows no empathy for Ghana's ailing industrial sector. We all need to wake up to the looming collapse local industries which hold the key to job creation and our economic recovery. AGI wishes to reiterate that the tariff increment of 316% and subsequently reduced to 172% for its beverage sector and the industry will have a dire consequence for industry and Ghana Water Company. Our utilities risk, our utility companies risk losing revenue if this trend of collapsing companies continue. We think it's unfair for the PURC to demand a significant share of revenue from industry. We urge the PRS to make public the real cost of service for each consumer category and gender transparency and fairness. 
That was the Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Ghana Industries, AGI, Seth Chum Akwabwa. Away from that, economist and currency analyst at GC Capital Limited, Courage Boti, has expressed optimism of a likely International Monetary Fund Board approval of a program for Ghana in the first quarter of 2023. Having reached a staff-level agreement with the fund for a $3 billion bailout, government is eyeing the approval of the board to stabilize the economy. In an interview with City Business News, Courage Boti said government's significant progress on the domestic debt exchange program, a key condition of the $3 billion balance of payment support for the fund is crucial. The IMF program, as it stands, depends on two things. Principally, uh, getting financing assurances from your partners, uh, those who will give you money as you have stated in your budget, and then uh, pushing through the, at least making some significant progress with the domestic debt exchange program. Uh, I think the first one is easier. Uh, you can easily get the Paris Club, the, the, uh, the World Bank, uh, African Development Bank, and the many other institutions or development partners we have to get uh, some funding, and it looks like they are committed to the process. What is actually hanging in the balance is a domestic debt exchange and so that is where we might make progress with I think if we show progress with that then we could secure an IMF deal at quarter one it's all very possible uh, we have the whole of February and then of course March to try to get all those board approvals really but it starts with uh, pushing through or su- successfully executing the domestic debt exchange program even if not completely there must be some significant progress in terms of some subscription even if it is not exactly the target we should make some progress there. Um, which to the IMF will be deemed satisfactory for them to approve the, the program at the board level. So it's still achievable, but a lot has to be done. You heard the economist and currency analyst at GC Capital Limited, Courage Boti. The banking consultant Dr. Christian Techijan has allayed fears of a likely collapse of banks in the country due to the ongoing domestic debt exchange program. Concerns were rife that some banks could take a major hit due to the DDEP, as many of them have invested heavily government bonds. The government, as part of its intervention for the sector due to the program, established the Ghana Financial Stability Fund to absorb industry players from any likely shocks. Dr. Tichijan is confident that the fund will stabilize any uncertainties that may arise due to the program. Um, honestly, I don't really see that happening because after the banking sector cleaning up 2016, 2017, we have, we've had very robust banks. Um, their, their balance sheets are looking very good. Liquidity positions are looking very good. We only expect certain situations coming up um, when some maturities of these bonds fall due and they have to make some uh, funds available for the payment of these funds. And um, government has made it clear to us. Already Bank of Ghana has got a framework where they offer liquidity um, support to a lot of these banks by their own ways. With the 15 billion um, Ghana cities coming in place, to show up what is already being done by Bank of Ghana, I do not re- really expect any financial institution to run into trouble to the extent of having to fold up because of some of these exchange programs that we are trying to embark upon. Banking consultant Dr. Christian Tichijan. Now, finally, the Ghana Investment Fund for Electronic Communications, GIFEC, is calling for partnership between the public and private sector to strengthen the digital divide. GIFEC maintains that government is committed to connecting every part of the country onto the digital space, but this can be achieved through collaboration. Speaking at the media launch of the Tech Job Fair 2023, the administrator of GIFEC, Prince Ofusu Sefa, added that deepened cooperation between the private and public ICT agencies will accelerate digital transformation across the country. Collaboration has always been a part because the mandate is so huge. 
we don't have capacity to be able to bridge the entire digital divide. We need partners in both the private sector and then the public sector. We, we absolutely have to work with institutes like this one, the IIP uh, GH, uh, to make sure that we involve everyone. It's all hands on deck because making sure that our communities are digitalized, people appreciate. If you take the case of some uh, women, for example, some think that tech is for men. It's absolutely not true. There are so many areas which are natural fits for our women, even in the kind of uh, cultural dispensation that we have. So we make sure that we spread this to all corners, uh, to all segments of our society, and we're happy to continue to work with IAP, uh, GH. Uh, to do this. And the tech job fair is another part of this effort. There are so many other efforts that we put in and uh, we're happy to be a part of it always. Prince of Osusefa is the administrator of the Ghana Investment Fund for Electronic Communications, GIFEC. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obodu. Thank you for listening. As always, please stay safe. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, we'll talk about the Public Accounts Committee. The committee has been hearing from the Minister for Water Resources and Sanitation. The Honorable Cecilia Dapai and her team was bef- were before the um, Public Accounts Committee of Parliament to answer questions of um, issues that were raised by the Auditor General in the 2022 re- report. But before that, let me tell you briefly what happened in Boku today, the Upper East Regional uh, Town. The Upper East Regional Security Council, RECSEC, is, uh, was in a meeting today over the alleged killing of seven civilians by the Ghana Armed Forces in Boku. The Member of Parliament for the area, Mahama Yarga, had in a statement said there were gunshots in Boku Township yesterday as part of efforts to bring the situation under control, the military chased everyone they saw in the area. In the process of dispersing the people, we were told six civilians were shot dead. He had described the action of the military as unprofessional and pledged to pursue the matter till justice is served. The RECSEC met today and a series of decisions have been taken. In our subsequent bulletin, we'll be sharing those with you. Plus, if you go to our website, citynewsroom.com, we will be publishing more of the 
uh, decision of Rexec there for you. But up next, let's go to Parliament and hear from the Public Accounts Committee. When the auditors were with you, why didn't you provide those receipts? And, and then, how did you get them later? Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, if you know where the mine is located, uh, most of the suppliers within the enclave do usually not have invoices and these receipts. But because it's a requirement of law for we to deal with uh, firms that have all these things, usually when we want to undertake an activity, we try to educate those people to get the necessary documents. But at times, they get with the invoice. When it is time for the payment, they struggle with the receipts. So what the managers normally do is that they advance the payment to them and later pursue them for their receipts. And this is the practice which is happening there. And as an assembly, we were not aware of this development until this issue came up. So when it was brought to our attention, we helped the managers of the water system. You said that? Yes, sir. If I know where Dema is. Yes, sorry. Oh, sorry. So, oh, no, that, that, there's no problem. Okay. The people usually don't have receipts and documents. Yes. So if you again say that, they pay them, that their documents, and they literally go and chase them for receipts or uh, documents. It's not proper. So I, I don't believe your story. I'm, I'm being frank with you. Uh, uh, Mr. Chairman, as I was saying, you know, uh, the water system... Okay, sorry, sir. Yeah, the water system, they have a team managing the system. And uh, I must say that uh, most of the dealings at that level, normally we at the assembly are not aware. So when this issue came up, it was when the system, the managers of the system approached the assembly. So when they came, we sat down with them and we told them what they should have done then. So in the process, we assisted them through how to get the necessary receipts from the suppliers they dealt with. So I, when the auditors came, they had the invoices, but the issue was the receipts. And they, they confused the invoice to be receipts. So when they came, we, we made it clear to them that... We made it clear to them that... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Auditors, are you are you satisfied that the documentation has been now been provided? Honorable Chair, we don't have any document with us. Thank you. Yes, please, uh, we've not provided the document, but we have it here. Okay, sorry. When did you provide a document to the audit? Let me find out. Did you provide a document to the auditors in the districts? Please, we did. We we did. The answer should be yes or no. Yes, please. So when did you do that? Please, it was yesterday. So yesterday, you don't expect them to communicate to their bosses in Accra. That is why we are getting the answer here. They don't have any information about that. So because you are coming to PSC, you quickly went and manufactured receipts and gave to them yesterday. No, Mr. Is there a coordinating director? No, oh. please. You are? I'm an assistant director. Assistant director two? Yes, please. That one, assistant director one. Director one? Yes. So, 
you provided the receipt yesterday. Only yesterday. Yes, yes, please. So, are they genuine receipts? Mr. Yeah, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, uh, let me. Are they genuine receipts? Yes, Mr. Chairman, yes, they are genuine receipts. How can you prove that they are genuine receipts? Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, uh, I can prove they are genuine receipts because if you look at the invoices that were used at the time of the audit mm. and the receipts now they have, mm. you cannot find any difference between the two. Okay. You see that they are, they are, they are genuine source. Okay. And Mr. Chairman, I your, also wanted to... Your, your method of judgment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so what date? What date do you have the receipt you provided yesterday? What date? The dates on that receipt you provided yesterday. Sorry, Mr. Chairman, the administrator will speak to that. Okay. But uh, regarding the submission of the documents, mm. in fact, it was yesterday we attempted to submit to the district audit service. Yes. But uh, we were advised that we should bring the documents here. Okay. So that after the engagement, we can make copies available to the True. audit team here. Okay. So they okay. did not take it. But oh, they, they didn't come. take it. They okay. didn't take it. So we have copies of that here. So let me now know what is the date on the receipts. Mr. Chairman, please, you contacted our suppliers. Mm. So they backdate the receipts. They backdate the receipts. <laughs> <laughs> Honorable members, order, order. Order, order, order. Honorable members, um, we are all laughing. In fact, even our uh, witnesses are laughing. But that is what most of them do. That's what they do. He's, he's an honest person, so he said they backdated the receipts. He spoke the truth. The truth, nothing but the truth. Yes. So that tells you how the system works. You see? Something that happened in 2019, for which the audit was done in 2020. Now, the receipts was written on 1st February 2023 back, back dated and that receipts if you trace it to the records of that company or enterprise you won't get it anywhere recorded in any of their books so the whole system it's some way come again Well, if you ask of the, the, the date, the backdated date, probably will be going somewhere else again. So let's, let's end it there. <laughs>
Now that's it for Eyewitness News tonight. We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. My name is Umaru Sanda Amado. Production by Bevelyn London uh, with support from um, Fred Tete Jabano. Technical support from Daniel Squashy and Edwin Kwakofi was on the new media side of things for us tonight. Up next is Sister Sister with AJ Sapon. Have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.